and I started to read and research more to be able to create these patterns that I found that these feelings follow the actions and the hard is gonna come now or later. And that was a realization that I had is do the hard things now or life's gonna be hard. Hold your station, this education is relevant. The motivation through conversation is evident. We're talking spiritual body, mind, development. This is the manhood experiment. The manhood experiment. The manhood experiment. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Manhood Experiment. I am Big Dreams, and I would like to say thank you for listening to today's episode of Manhood Experiment. Today, we want to talk about three major things. One, living to our full potential. The second one is why we do hard things. And then the third one is recovering as hard as you play. Man, like these are such great topics. I know you're going to get a lot from it. But first, let me introduce this special individual today. I got to do it. I got to do it. All right. This man has really just connected with me over time. The things that he speaks about resonate with me. I learned something new every time I listen to this gentleman. He started off, you know, single family household, similar to myself, and came up through the ranks, overcome so many obstacles. He's a health coach, a life coach, an author, a nutritionist, a motivational speaker, an entrepreneur, and most importantly, a family man and a father to his newborn baby. Yes, sir. I'm talking about none other than our very own Jason Sonny. Oh, shoot. Shoot. What a welcome. I appreciate <laughs> you very much, man. That, that hit me in the heart. It's a pleasure to be here and get to share some fun lessons with y'all today. But everything's good in my world. Everything's still revolving around little baby Adeline and the roller coaster of fatherhood. Uh, still making time to, you know, to, to have fun and show up. But what's good with you guys? It's good to be here. Yeah, T-Rex here. I'm doing great. Been busy with business, but I seem to have a passion for cinematography these days. I hope you guys are checking me out on Instagram. Yes, sir. Yeah, at Tarek Stedico. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> but it's just been uh, great to have that balance from work and find passion outside. Well, how about you, Dreams? Ah, uh, man. I'm living a life. I'm living a dream, you know? I got family here. I got a beautiful, supportive wife. Every day, every week, we're getting a little closer to seeing this little man, my new legacy. Like I said, he's going to be here in February, so we're excited. He might be here before that. This kid is not playing. Like, the coolest things, he's recognizing my voice. He kicks when he hears me around. He's been listening to the podcast, or my wife's been listening to the podcast, and she's like, he just gets active. I'm like, oh, yeah, we got an athlete coming. So I'm excited about life, man. Excited for family. Excited about my daughter. She's hilarious. Getting this house project together as I move forward and really diving into my career and finding other opportunities outside of that. So good place in life. But today is not about me. It's about our brother, Jason Sani. Please take it away. Take it away. <laughs> uh, shoot. What's up, y'all? Well, Today, we're doing a fun approach to the conversation here. We're going to serve up a few lessons that were crucial in me finding fulfillment and doing the things that I've been able to do and be passionate about unpeeling a little bit more of, of the origin story here. So I want to just take you guys back, provide you with a couple brief stories and what I learned from those lessons. And I truly feel that somebody listening will be able to pull something from one of these stories that uh, you know will help either inspire, motivate, or provide you with some new resources. 
So without further ado, coming back, the first lesson that I got that really shifted my trajectory of life, I hate doing the the woe is me type of thing. Like I always tried to avoid that. I think that I had this idea growing up as a kid. Maybe it was the shame or the guilt that I, I wanted to fit in as much as I could in a sense that I never wanted to talk about, you know. And one thing I didn't really recognize any sort of challenges as far as like my living environment at home. It's like fishes are the last ones to know that they're living in water. Like what is water type of thing? I love that phrase. (laughs) I love that phrase. It's such a visual. Yeah. What was that phrase? Say that phrase again for the audience. So there's this real popular speech. Gosh, it was given at a, a commencement speech talking all about what is water. And you guys can look this up if you guys, it's very inspirational. But the whole idea is, it's like the world that we live in. You know, fishes, if you ask a you know, fish, like, what is water? They're the last ones to actually know what it is because it's their environment. It's their world that we're living in. And it's the same idea that we can live in these, this set of ideas, and this identity that we've created because we don't know that there's a whole other identity out there. And it goes back into the, you know, we don't know what we don't know type of situation. So Yeah, I'm going to just add that to the bag. Just like yeah. no risk it, no biscuit. That's, I'm adding that's it to right. the bag, Jay. <laughs> I think I got some, I got some more for you today. So taking you back just a brief story, you guys have maybe heard that I was a picky kid growing up. I also, and I'm not exaggerating with, with these stories, I was the bad kid in school. I was more than just a class clown. I think a lot of people claim that they were a class clown. Like I strived to be like my older brother who would come home and tell me these stories of him getting in trouble and getting suspended from school and doing like pranks on kids. And I heard some of these firsthand from the teachers that I came to. They said like, oh no, here comes another, another Sonny. Like my brother would do things like put soap on the drinking fountains and then just sit back and watch people drink when he was in elementary and middle school, all for himself. He wasn't even trying to entertain anybody. He was just trying to laugh to himself as people would drink soap. And so I'd, I'd hear these stories as a kid and be like, well, I got to live up to, to, to that hype. And for me, it came back to me just being that people pleaser wanting to make people laugh. And the big thing is I didn't have a lot of discipline growing up. And a word I heard a lot in school, and I knew this very clearly before many kids did, was insubordination. And for those of you who don't know the definition of that, that's the defiance of authority, refusal to obey orders. And I'm not proud of this, but growing up with my mom, she was working swing shift a lot of times. And so I'd be left home alone or my grandparents would be watching me and they were tired and I wanted to have fun all the time. You know what I mean? And it's like, why wouldn't you want to have fun and, and do all the things that taste good and feel good? instead of doing these harder discipline things. And many people learn this from role models. And I had some in and out of my life, but not a lot that I respected as much. And so at school, I've found myself getting in a lot of trouble. For instance, I can think of more than 10 like significant field trips through elementary and middle school that I didn't get to go on because I'd gotten in trouble and they just kept me back. You know, I mean, that, that would hurt my feelings. And then middle school came, it was chaos. I didn't have a lot of that guidance and that support and that discipline, like I said, and I found myself getting citations and referrals constantly. And then I thought it was a cool thing because I could come home and brag to my brother that, hey, look, you did this thing and, and I did too. And he never seemed impressed. So I always had to one up myself and then I was getting suspended. You know, I'd miss out on field trips. I'd have night school, which is no fun. And then by the time I got in eighth grade, I had over 30 referrals and they decided to expel me. I'd been suspended so much 
that they said that, hey, it's easier just to expel this kid from school unless his mom's going to come and sit in class. And I think she literally did for a day and was like, look, I just don't have time to do this. And so I finished the rest of eighth grade at home and Mm -hmm. that rolled right into high school. So a little bit of identity crisis of what I was trying to be, trying to fit in so hard in high school, right off the bat, I was failing. And it was different when you're in high school and you fail, you learn the consequences of things. Mm -hmm. For instance, I was getting threatened to not be able to play sports because to be an all student body, you had to maintain above a two point grade average or three point, I think it was. Yeah, you got to be eligible 2.3, 2.5. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to follow the footsteps of my brother, and it got to a point where I was getting suspended already a bunch in high school for silly things like trying to make kids laugh and saying no. That, that word insubordination, that defiance of authority, I kept hearing that more and more. And I was like proud of it in a weird way. You started to identify with it. Yeah. And it was a feeling like people were almost giving up on me or comparing me to my brother. Like my brother had a lot of potential, but it was a lot of wasted potential. Mm. I mean, by the time I finished high school, my brother had already been in jail for like a year period of time. And so like I was thinking like, well, maybe I'm just going to be just like my brother. Like he had a lot mm. of potential, but it was wasted. And that's where this story turned around. So. I had this principal who, you know, I don't know if you guys remember because you guys probably didn't get in as much trouble, but you have multiple principals. In the high school, you have a vice principal and a principal. Well, this vice principal happened to be the father of one of the coaches for football, and he reached to me in a smart way. And this is why teachers have such an important job. And he set me aside, and he said, hey, you know, he told me a little story. He knew I admired my brother. And he's like, you know, your brother was one of the smartest kids that came through the school, yet he didn't live up to his potential. He got himself in trouble so much. He thought he was smarter than the teachers and he wasn't solving problems on the board like Matt Damon and and Goodwill Honey, but (laughs) he thought he was pretty smart. And he truly was a very resourceful, smart individual who made some bad decisions. Now he said, you remind me of him a lot. Like I see that potential in you, but you're working so hard to make people laugh. And how he summed this up is there's a time to have fun and a time to be serious. And he asked me, he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, well, I, I want to be successful. You know, I, was like, I don't want to be like my dad. That was my answer. Mm. And not trying to throw shade on, on him. But at that point, I was like, I want to have these things and be successful with the closest thing that I could imagine or define that at that time. But what did you mean by that, though, when you say you don't want to be like your dad, Jay? What that meant to me was like, I wanted to show up. I wanted to be consistent. I didn't want to be flaky. I wanted to be able to have the things that other parents, you know, kids' parents had. That was the most I could grasp Mm. at that age. Like I wanted to make something in my life that I would be proud of. And so him planning that lesson, he really helped shift my trajectory of learning to actually develop this relationship with my future self. And that's where the first lesson I got was living up to my potential, knowing there's a time to entertain people and have fun. And there's a time to be serious. And I took that lesson. He challenged me. And he said, your brother could have got 4.0s all the way through high school, but he got in a lot of trouble here and there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he, he made me a challenge. He's like, if you get 4.0s, he's like, I'll make sure you'll, you know, you'll be able to play sports. And he's like, and then just think of all the possibilities. You can prove me correct. You can prove yourself correct. And that's going to set you up so much better for the future. And he just helped me, again, have that relationship with my future self so much more And that stuck with me a lot in focusing on what I wanted rather than what I didn't want. And that really, really started the path for my future that's going to tie into my next couple lessons. 
what I got from that, Jay, is that you really found how to motivate yourself. He found a way to get through to you, and he learned. And I guess as a coach, you have that type of unique skill, which probably is pushing you into what you do as a coach as well. But he saw something in you and was able to pull it out by going through the right channels to get to you. And it seems like it made a, almost an immediate difference for you in your life. Absolutely. And another lesson there was learning to listen. That looking back on that, he listened to me and what was important. And he could tell a way to be able to connect, mm -hmm. like you just said. And it's helped me, I think, be a better teacher and a coach at the same time as well and relate to people so much more. I like that story. You know, I could relate because early on in my life, didn't have good role models and felt lost. And sometimes you need that external help, someone to tell you that you do have that potential. And someone who, you, you made a great point, someone who would actually listen to you versus telling you like, you should do this, you should do that. But just like understanding where you are and then helping you carve that path so super important. That's that's a, a big, Ooh. big insight there. Jay, before you jump in, God just gave me this. Two things you stuck, stuck out. I'm going to paraphrase and just make it sweet and simple. I do one of your numbers, right? So you went from having a group of people, the staff, give up on you. And all it took was one person to actually believe in you and give you a challenge. And I thought that was a huge moment for me. It only takes one. Mm -hmm. That's what uh, Lady Gaga said in her speeches. She said that it only takes one person in the room to believe mm -hmm. in you. So I love it. Yeah, that's big, and I think it's a reminder that you never know when you can change someone's life, and it doesn't always take much. And that's why it's, mm -hmm. some, it's a saying that I I live to so much is I believe in you, and I heard that from people growing up. Now I try to use that as much as I can and let people know that I believe in them Strong. because some people just need that little extra belief. And for me. I lacked that self-worth from an older brother that was abusive in my own conditioning of my mind that I was taking in. And so how I turned that around was I did get 4.0s. I did get accepted into the colleges that I had applied to. I did play sports, had coaches that taught me lessons about discipline and things that are going to play into the future that much more. So what I want to do is take you guys into that next lesson. Next lesson, fast forward just a few years, I... In college, was working a job selling cell phones, <laughs> and it was a good point early on. Learned learned all about sales and commission and communicating with people a whole bunch more. And I realized that I was at Oregon University, of Oregon, and I wanted to start over and go somewhere different. And a friend of mine had moved down to Arizona to go to ASU, and so I transferred. And luckily, the company that I was working with would help pay for part of you know, it was a reimbursement for education mm. or whatever. And so I transferred down to Tempe, Arizona, and I enrolled at ASU. And I was continuing to work. And I had this idea that I wanted to, you know, I was a late bloomer, like I said, and I wanted to play football. And I didn't want to do it at a small level. I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it big. And I enrolled at ASU, went through the process of going through the walk-on process for the football program. That's not easy. Yeah, no way. Going through an organized sport. But I was like, you know, again, no risk, no risk. We're going hard, baby. <laughs> and I felt like I had the size and developed a lot of the speed. And as I was training, and I was still partying a lot. I was going out a lot. I had fake ID. At this time, I'm about 19 years old, maybe 20 years old. And I was just 
out all the time, not sleeping, not recovering because I was trying to live to my potential, but I wasn't recovering hard enough to let it flourish. Mm. And I remember I was training, trying to get bigger, put on size, and I tore my pec. And it's one of the worst injuries ever. It's the closest thing I've been to depression, but I'm piling on weight. I was probably dehydrated from drinking the night before and not training smart, training with an ego. Tore my pec, which is similar to like a rotator cuff injury. I had to rush to the emergency room immediately. And that changed the trajectory of a lot of things at that point too. So how did you actually do that, Jay? Sorry to jump in, but like what happened? Uh, So I was bench pressing. Part of my plan to get bigger, to be able to fit in, you know, and, and have this extra size. And I started, I put a plate on each side, warmed up really quick. Okay. Put another plate on. So now I got 225 on. Jeez. And I'm pushing out the reps. And I felt like a little twinge, like kind of a cramp type of feeling in my chest. So as soon as I racked it up, I stretched my chest. And this is where the orthopedic surgeon said I probably mm. tore it at this point. So I stretched and then put another 25s on. So I got 275 on, no spotter, mm. pull it off. And on the first rep, as I'm coming down slow, it sounds like a rope is tearing. Just goes, oh my God. The weight Ouch. slammed on me. Oh my, my adrenaline God. went through the roof. So I rolled over, you know, people in the gym came over and were like looking at me. I got up and immediately my bicep was purple from blood just flowing to it. Oh and I couldn't like, lift my arm. I had this numb feeling in my shoulder. And so that's what it's like to tear a pec. And how's that for a dramatic story? That is and what we needed to know. Oh my God. And <laughs> for the next six months, especially the next couple of months, I had a challenging time just washing my hands, you know, putting on a t shirt, mm. no upper body lifting. And so I had to go to a rehab program who I ended up meeting some people that, you know, I learned some more incredible life lessons. But the big lesson here was learning to recover as hard as you train, as hard as you play. And mm. why this is important in this specific case was I thought just more is better. I was the shotgun approach. I was like, you know, read more self-improvement, uh, stay out late, meet more people, party, network, train as hard as you can, more than everybody else. And it bit me in the ass, you know, and it bit me in the yeah. ass by me tearing my pec. And then for that next six months, I had to reflect so much because I felt depressed that now I couldn't do the thing that gave me the most life like physical activity, which was my identity. Yeah. Not only did it like bite you on the ass, it set you on your ass. Like you had to kind of <laughs> take a time out there in life based on you kind of feel like you overdid it from what, I, what I'm what i gathering. Like yeah. as a way of doing that sometimes, huh? I needed it. And there's so many mm. good things came from it. It's bittersweet, I'm sure, whatever. But at the same time, what I'm really proud of myself and the lesson I took from that was not just giving up and moving on to something else. Because I'd seen those stories of people like, oh, yes, you know, this big thing happened. And then I just, I moved on to something else. For me, I was like, triumph. I'm going, I'm going to be triumphant and figure out something more. I'm going to recover and be stronger and smarter than I ever was. And I learned mm-hmm. so much from going through the rehab process of how to use the body correctly. And it helped build a stronger relationship so that I could teach and coach people so much better in the future. And it's something that I carry with me to this day because it wasn't just how I was training. I was burnt out. It, it mm. caused digestive issues. I thought that I had dairy intolerance, all these digestive issues because I was doing too much. I was not recovering and eating enough. I wasn't sleeping enough. And so that lack of progress led to different energy swings. And I just didn't have as much clarity. I knew I wanted to still at this time be successful, find fulfillment, do a lot of things, but it wasn't honed in enough mm-hmm. and I didn't have enough guidance. And yeah. that led me to being burned out. 
They say either sometimes you're going to borrow a lesson or you're going to pay for a lesson. Okay, look mm-hmm. at me. I'm in my bag like Jason Sonny out here. Yeah. You're going to buy a lesson or nuggets. you're going you're gonna to borrow a lesson or you're going to have to pay for it, right? And yeah. when you don't have that extra person to borrow from, you typically will have to pay for those lessons and it's not like you had to, you had to pay with your pecs. Before we continue, we need your help. We'd like to reach more like-minded people just like you and share our knowledge on personal growth, health, and success. So can you do us a favor and in your podcast app, hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star review and leave us an encouraging comment. Do it right now while you listen to this episode. That will help us know you're listening and that you care and that little action will help us reach more folks. Now back to our show. Just knowing you over the years, you have intelligence when it comes to training and you do it smart and you do it hard too, but you do it smart. And that's something I learned from you. And it's just interesting to see where this all came about from you Mm -hmm. having that injury in your life and you learning that big lesson early on, because I think that is what differentiates you from a lot of people in the fitness industry of, you know, I've worked with people in the industry and it's always about the getting the form right, getting this thing. But you go into a whole holistic approach. Like you talk about sleep, you talk about recovery, you talk about nutrition, mm. you talk about the little things in between the training. And that is something just seeing the origin where that story actually was born from. That's very interesting. And yeah. I want to also add to those roses there. What I also noticed is that a lot of people don't always appreciate the experience you have until they understand the experience you had. Mm. You would like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. A lot of people nice. don't always appreciate the experience that you have until they understand the experience that you had. And they're like, man, if Damn. you really had to go through it yourself, you wouldn't want it. <laughs> you may not want this experience. Yeah. And I'm yeah. appreciative of what you know now. And like I said, how you're able to give that guidance and like mental fitness and the fitness area in general because of the recovery piece that you have. Not everybody's going to be able to bring that recovery piece to the table, such as what T was saying. Just giving another perspective of what he was saying in that moment, what I gathered. Yeah. And recovery, again, what I mean by that, it's mental, it's mindset, it's learning how to turn off that busy, over-stimulated mind and be able to reflect. It's, it's giving yourself enough quality rest to be able to rejuvenate. It's taking a break instead of going into it too much. And this is a fine line. Not everybody is like hard charging and going to do all the things. Mm-hmm. But I was that person that was just trying to do all the things. And when you try to do all the things, you end up not being able to do anything at a great mm-hmm. level. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd suffered that. And that ties into this next story. So the final lesson right here is the biggest lesson that I learned. It took me a long time to learn. It was hard medicine. And so we talked about potential And I was someone that at the same time, like early on, probably didn't seem like it was that that promising as I started to develop and people got to see the work ethic that I put in. Then people started to say that I had a lot of potential and I started to Mm. believe that at a big level and with potential came a lot of opportunities. And so I did well with sales. I was naturally moving in the career of training people. I had left the corporate world and was just training people as a main focus. I started YouTube before it was a cool thing back in 2009. I started my blog. I was volunteering to speak a lot. But I also got hooked on just doing the things that I wanted to do because they felt good. A lot of low-hanging fruit opportunities. And it left me 
going really fast down this path of the least resistance. And there's times where I was doing things that people didn't want to do, but like I found myself just running into a lot of dead ends and then I would stop one thing and move on to another. And I lacked that consistency to see a lot of things through. I certainly started a lot of things, but I found myself at a point and I hit a real rock bottom. So question for you before you continue, where in your life are you right now? So you finished college. Yeah. So my early 20s, you know, so this is after me being in the corporate world for a couple of years. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm in my mid 20s, probably at this case, about 24, 25 years old and working. I had already made some decent money, terrible at managing money, although I had already Mm. bought a home with a friend. So I had bought my first home and I I was proud. I did some accomplishments that I was proud of, but I didn't have a long term plan. There wasn't a lot of consistency. And I found myself, I was training people. And I found myself at this rock bottom when I got myself in debt. I mm. used to take pride and I had this great credit score. Like I said, I bought a home. That whole process left us selling it for a loss. And I blew through any sort of savings you know, that I had set up. Didn't have any sort of family that was going to help out. I was helping my family out. You know, I'd try to help mm. out my mom, my little brother, whenever I could. And so it got to a point, the only people in my, in my family that had their finances and my immediate family where my grandma, you know, she was so proud of me that I never wanted to say that I didn't have everything figured out. Mm. And I didn't want to have those uncomfortable conversations, which Mm. led to me hitting this bottom. You know, I I hit a point where I got behind on some payments. And I think it was like a Tuesday evening, I get a phone call from a number I don't recognize. And it's a guy saying, I'm with J&T Towing Company. Can you give me your location? We're coming to pick up your vehicle. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I was like, first of all, I'm not going to give you my location. And I was like, slow down. What's going on? Yeah, we got a a notice from the credit union that you're behind on your payments and uh, we're repossessing the vehicle. And I said, whoa, that happened quick. And that was a big wake up call. At that point, I think I had borrowed money from a couple of friends, which was so hard for me to do, which I felt bad about. Mm -hmm. And I had some clients that, you know, I would train clients and it wasn't always consistent. I would expect to get paid and then maybe they'd go on vacation and travel. And I didn't set up my finances properly. And I got myself at this point where it was like, oh, no. And I remember I journaled about it. And I'm like, this is never going to happen again. I need to stop living outside of my means. And it was just a major wake up call that me doing the things that felt good and avoiding these hard conversations. And maybe because I was afraid of getting embarrassed or, or my self-worth wasn't in the right position to be able to ask for what I thought that I was worth. And I got myself in this just really dark place of mm. this mindset of being uncomfortable, you know, these uncomfortable conversations that I wasn't having. And I relied on things being quick and easy and things coming to me. And this low hanging fruit had kind of paralyzed me in a sense that I just thought everything was going to work out mm. until it didn't, you know, and then, you know, emergency would happen. And then I remember I had a vehicle in this process before this happened where the transmission went out and I didn't have any money saved up and, and so on. So it was like one thing after another. But what I was lacking was communicating the things that I needed help. I wanted to feel mm. like I had it all figured out. Maybe some of you guys can relate. Yes, but sir. Like, I was the one that was trying to help everybody else. So I was like, how am I going to say that I don't have it figured out? I've come a long way with this, and I'll tie it into the lesson yeah, of but learning let me, how to do hard things. Let me pause you before you give them the lesson, because right here, there's a lot to unpack in this moment of yeah. what you're talking about. And what I'm hearing is um almost like these things in manhood that we say are, this is what being a man is about. As a young man, you're going through this because maybe you don't have that experience of the next level 
of somebody who's gone through it already. So you're having to pay for a lot of these lessons yourself and say, dang, I should have reached out for help. And because I'm not reaching out for help and trying to wear this new identity, because the first identity in lesson two, I guess we learned balance, right? In college days. Now you're out on your own. And what I'm gathering is you're trying to now live in this new potential and people are actually starting to see you in this new potential. So you're identifying yourself as being Mm. somebody who has this potential, being somebody who can get things done, but you don't want to change that perception because everybody else is like almost dependent on you. You said you're taking care of family and you're trying to live up to it and you're so Mm -hmm. driven to live up to it. You don't even want to reach out for help. And it sounds like in the moment you're not reaching out for help, but you're drowning and you're like, nope, I'm just going to learn how to swim. I'm going to learn how to swim. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a manhood experience that I think most men go through, but we don't really like to speak on. So I'm glad you're being vulnerable and talking about it. Like not everybody starts having it together. Yeah. And I mean, I was having a lot of fun. People could look back and like, oh, wow, you should have been more responsible. But like, I'll figure it out was my whole mindset. And I was at the time, I mean, I was taking trips to Vegas. I was going on vacations. And some of my relationships had struggled because then if I found myself in a tight spot at the end of the month where I'm trying to get all my expenses handled, mm-hmm. I then would find myself stressed out. And when I'm stressed out, like then it's like, no, I got to go all in and I got to fix this. And so I missed out on a lot of opportunities. And you're talking like what, romantic relationships? Are you talking like with friendships? Are you talking about family? Yeah, romantic relationships. There were some friendships that were stressed a little bit over some finance type of stuff that I look back on. And this was a big wake up call and a culmination of really taking all this into account. But it's hard to show up in a loving self when your hierarchy of needs are not met. And I was the one creating mm. chaos in the sense that I was not living outside of my means, not prioritizing things correctly. So I wasn't showing up as loving and creative as I could in certain areas. And that led to me pulling my pants up. And learning to do hard things, you know, so I took a break from my passion of wanting to stay 100% in health and fitness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I jumped into medical sales because I was like, well, I can figure this out. And I made some money and I started doing all right with that, but it didn't feel right. I felt like something still was missing. Mm -hmm. And what I realized was like, well, I'm going to go back. If I can sell somebody else's product and make a commission, I'm going to sell what I offer to help empower people and help people. Let me do it a bigger level. The lesson that I took from all of this was learning to do hard things and seeking them and going towards hard things. And so that's the Mm. biggest lesson is choosing hard things as a bias. So if my old mindset and operation system was saying, do the easy thing, take it easy, just do it tomorrow, do this low-hanging fruit opportunity. My Uh, new mindset perception was learning to associate the outcomes with what my actions were. And so knowing that I had more potential, that I had to stay focused on what was more important, learning to love the hard work because what was on the other side of that. Mm. But like, how did you learn to love the hard work? Like what, and I please don't lose what you're about to say, but how did you do that? I feel like it's a good transition piece to know. How'd you get from A to B with that, learning to love hard work? I went to work. I started looking around. I had some friends that I admired. One of my best friends comes from an immigrant family. Shout out to Omzi. He was somebody I admired. He was getting his graduate assistant position. He had coached football. He was Mm. working like 70 hours per week. And then I had another one of my buddies who was like the first one in the office, the last one out of the office. And I used a couple of these guys and changed my frame of reference. And I remember having conversations. I also asked a mentor of mine. It was a client I was training's father who was really successful. 
And all of these guys basically, I was like, what do you do when you don't feel like doing something? And it's like, I learned to have a new frame of reference of like, you just do the work because that's what we're built to do. And we're not always going to be able to enjoy all the things. When I started to read and research more to be able to create these patterns that I found that these feelings follow the actions and the hard is going to come now or later. And that was a realization that I had is do the hard things now or life's going to be hard. And I saw that over and over and over again. You can't avoid it. In the form of strong medicine. Like catching myself in debt or playing catch up because I chose to do what felt good in that moment. I really like that. Do the hard things now or basically things are going to be hard later. Yeah, it's hard now. Think about it. With your diet, Mm -hmm. you can choose to put in the work to learn how to make these things automatic or you can have health issues and health problems later. The debt type of thing. You can not pay attention to track your income and expenses and then you're going to run in when you have an emergency and now you're going to pay the price. All kinds of responsibilities that we can think of. And so one of the big lessons here was learning to love the things that you do instead of simply doing things that you love. And me having training. Oh, one more time. One more time, please. (laughs) For the people in the back. Learn to love the things you do rather than simply do things that you love. Now, there's a time and place where you earn the ability to have that free time and do the fun things. Mm -hmm. But like with training, I'm proud that I've been consistent for the last 20 years of training. I'm not exaggerating with that. Mm. Like it's something that I associate with how much it's going to help my energy and my health. And I rarely get sick because I take care of myself. And you'd think I feel like it every day. There's so many days I wake up and I don't feel like it, but (laughs) I do it and I do it and I do it. Sometimes I don't do it at a high energy level, but I learn to love the hard things and I seek it and I keep those challenges coming. I appreciate mm. and I value those hard things. And the training is just one way that that carries over into other things of life. Yeah. Budgeting, saving up money, having uncomfortable conversations. I now associate if this is hard, that's a sign I'm getting from the universe that I need to go through that door. If I'm getting a sign mm. that says, oh, this is uncomfortable, don't do it. Now I'm like, oh no, that's a, a little light that went on that says that's what you need to do. That is a lesson in life that you get to go through. It's like that hero's journey. And so now when I get those thoughts that pop up, it's a bias for action. It's like, nah, do it. Push through, learn. Now we're talking mental strength, right? Absolutely. And Mm. so go on. What's she saying to you? I just want to highlight what you just said. That is just a great point. Because since I know you, you've always developed, you have that mental muscle of, and that repetition of, let me do the hard things. Let me do the hard things. So, by doing that often, that's how you train your mind. And it becomes, in a way, easier to do the hard things because that's your pattern now. That's a new norm. So that is, I think, a big lesson in itself there. Yeah. I dated a girl in college whose father was an author. He wrote this book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. His name is T. Harv Ecker. Shout out. And I got to meet him. And I remember I'm this curious young kid. And I was like, wow, tell me your story more. I mean, I read your book and something in the book that stood out, he gave me this book and it was like something about when you become bigger than your problems, like your problems aren't going to affect you as much. There's a lot of really good nuggets. Hmm. But he told me that he got this education by going and reading books and finding mentors that he didn't have in person, but he could read these books. So I, at that time, was going into like Barnes and Nobles at the time when they were open and I would go there for hours in the evening and I would just reference one self-improvement book to another book. I'd like get two or three books and I would be reading multiple at a time. 
And I just was so excited with all these aha moments of learning the patterns <laughs> of what quote unquote successful and fulfilled people were doing. So I chose to go and sharpen up my armor and get that self-education. And it, thankfully, when I ran into that rock bottom, I had extra time on my hands because I wasn't going out and popping bottles as much. Now I was in the bookstore reading and getting lessons. And so having those mentors, some of them were not firsthand. They were people that I was reading about became, you know, helped me shape my model a lot more. And I learned to just develop a new reality of, you know, understanding of what is the upside of what I'm doing, like asking that before the actions that I was doing. And this is where it started, like realizing the obstacles were making me stronger. Like everything that I'd done, I'd started to embrace my identity a lot more. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> and knowing that the hard things truly were helping me build confidence. And so again, tying this into the big lesson is I had to act as this strong, confident person and do the things that that person does before I could become that person. I had to, to take myself off the bench, put myself in the arena and start to play and learn rather than waiting for the right time to do these things. And when you do that, then you develop more conversations and more feedback to be able to learn and, and keep going. And I created this bias for action, like I said. And that's one of the biggest lessons. And to say that it was easy, and I still do it time and time, that would be completely misleading you. It's a challenge. But like I know daily by me choosing to go pursue a challenge, like try to get faster or the cold shower thing kind of gets played out. But hey, it's something. It's building that self-discipline. Mm -hmm. For me, cooking. You know, I was thinking about the other day, like as I'm making meals for my family and I'm looking at the sink full of dishes and a dirty kitchen. And I was just kind of laughing out because I was kind of tired at the time. And I was like, you know why a lot of people aren't healthy? Because they don't want to deal with the mess of cleaning up dishes and they want what's <laughs> easy. And for me, I have this strong association and I'm, I won't say this is a hard thing, but I will do the dishes and cook with those pans and wash them and feel good and find a way to enjoy that. I got to be on my feet after I eat and clean everything up, which is going to help my metabolism and, yeah. and so on to get the benefits from eating healthy consistently because I know the difference of not doing it and how it makes me feel like crap. And I know by me doing it, it's going to make me feel better. I'm going to have more energy. You found the benefit of the work. Yeah. You talk yourself in to the bias, to the upside of the work that you're doing that you need to do. And a lot of us know exactly what we need to do. And if you don't, you just got to take some quiet time to find that clarity of what, the, what steps are going forward. And then you look for other mm -hmm. people that have done these things to help fuel your fire a little bit. That's exactly what I'm gathering from you. Um, Like you said, yeah. when you didn't have the motivation, one, you went to search for the motivation. Before you searched for the motivation, you got put on your butt, so you had to sit down and reflect, which connects right into your phrase of, it's either going to be hard now or it's going to be hard later. So because you had that moment to where, okay, it wasn't hard later, you ripped your pecs, right? And then after that, you had to sit down and reflect. And then this moment, next time you're like, all right, next time I get a shot, I got to do this a little differently. And you did. But certain things, I, what I'm gathering is you still didn't quite let go, such as the partying and things like that. But you got a better balance of your discipline and, you know, moving into a career that maybe didn't yeah. originally align with what you wanted. And then you found your way back. Yep. And I got something that's really big right here that I, I wanted to mention earlier on is the self-limiting beliefs. Like this is something that, that I'm still working on. I think that a lot of people have these blocks and these self-limiting beliefs because you only know the world that you've been living in and your decision-making lens based on the world that you're living in. For me, my self-limiting belief was I thought that everything had to be hard. 
And the hard stuff was scary <laughs> and it drained my energy to think of how hard something was going to be because it was going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But instead, I tried to find a way to let that energize me because of what would come from putting in that work. And a lot of times it would take me getting out of my comfort zone, asking for help, having uncomfortable conversations and learning that that is a good thing. When I'm doing those things, it's allowing me to communicate, voice those things instead of letting them all brew up inside, speak about it. And Mm. it allows you to open up. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm sharing these things, not as a woe is me and here's my story. It's saying like, hey, maybe it's something in here you can relate to. And by you speaking about it and you asking for help, you realize that you can change your path and it's never too late to be able to start shifting that trajectory of where you're going. And the interesting thing about this, all all of these stories you shared here, there's interrupts in your life where there's challenges. For example, you're getting expelled. Mm. You find a mentor. That mentor led you to the first lesson of looking at your full potential. Then the injury part when you're in college. And that led you to learning recovery. And that led you to shaping your career. Then being in debt, the repossession, affecting your relationships that allowed you to become more vulnerable and that allowed you to choose the hard things and Mm. i think a good lesson from all of this too is when there's low points in your life these interrupts that's these challenges is to look at them and what you did is to recalibrate and what's the lesson here you step back what's the lesson here and you grow from that so that's a theme i've seen in these three stories that you just took the challenge Obviously, you flounder in the beginning, but you find the right answer and it led to something which led to something else greater. Absolutely. Mm. And still learning. I love it. You got that right. And the lessons, for instance, the recovery thing is just as big. You know, now you have to learn to unplug. If you want creativity, you have to learn to give yourself that rest and take it easy and to prioritize sleep, manage your time and manage your energy. You've heard me talk about this before. And I purposely said recover as hard as you train, play and work. Because if you work really hard, you're going to burn yourself out if you're not rejuvenating. And same thing in play, because it's not all about training. Everybody works out and trains like crazy. But like if you're playing really hard, like doing things you love, you need to be able to rejuvenate, balance yourself back up, balance. get more calm, collected, and focused. And doing the hard things, it's a new relationship. It's going to play into what our experiment is that I'm going to leave you with is we need to have a dialogue in our head and that narrative of saying, what am I doing right now? Am I choosing the easy path, that path of least resistance, or am I choosing something that's going to help move me forward and provide me with more experience in this experiment and game of life? An experiment I want to leave you guys with is 10-10-10. Really easy. It's, it's focusing on how will you feel about the decision you're making. So this is the decisions that you got to kind of think about a little bit. How will you feel about this decision in 10 minutes from now? This could be as simple as what you're going to eat next. How will you feel about this decision 10 months from now? Is this really going to be that important? Are you overthinking this? Are you going to be proud of this decision if it's a big financial decision? And then how we feel about this decision in 10 years from now. So those different frames of references are going to show you how insignificant some of the decisions you're making are and how some of them can really create this big pattern of momentum of where you're going. So mm. 10 minutes from now, 10 months from now, 10 years from now, how is that decision you're making going to affect you? And if you can stack up those big decisions, you know it's going to help you build a lot more resilient mind and body. And then the last thing with all those things is, you know, what is the upside for your future self? You know, for me, learning that relationship, a mentor asked me, what would your 20-year-older version of self do right now? And a lot of very fulfilled, successful, accomplished individuals think of things in more like 10-year blocks rather than like 
one month or quarters. And you can think about that. Like, are you moving in the right trajectory? It gives you micro macro view here of understanding like how much time you actually do have, but where we need to put in some urgency and get it moving. I like that you took the time to explain that. It helps me to understand you a lot more. And I'm glad that we did this episode this way, more of an interview style, because you have so many nuggets that you drop on us. And I'm like, where are you getting all this from? And then it goes back to the experiences that you've had growing up, you know, and getting from adolescence to now manhood and that we're still growing even today. And this is something I feel like I can really incorporate every day. I've heard something similar to this before, but 10, 10, 10, this is something I can do every day, not just a one-time experiment. This is like a way of life for you. And I see it as well. And I'm doing this, but I never identified it with this simple 10, 10, 10. I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah, we get in our heads. We overcomplicate a lot of things often. We talk about that a lot. What's up, T? I think this has been a great episode and I hope the listener get to see the depth of what some of the wisdom you have and some of the smarts that you have now that you share and we take it for granted to see that and to know where that came from, from hard lessons that you had to learn in life and uh, having an injury, having a car repossessed, having to be expelled at school. Almost repossessed. Yeah, almost almost repossessed. <laughs> kept, Good clarity kept, there. <laughs> you saved the car. It was nice about it, it too. They called I negotiated you. with the bank. I know. I negotiated <laughs> with the bank and managed to get some money and pay the thing off because I barely owed anything yeah. at that time. But yeah. Mm. So yeah, to have those dark moments and from that you pull the wisdom and the know-how and the smarts that has impacted your life and is impacting other people now. That's amazing to see. So with that said, uh, Dreams, you want to wrap it up there? Uh, man, I think Jay did a great job wrapping it up, giving the experiment of the day. I hope you all got something from listening to the experiment of the day and listening to my brother, Jason Sonny, share his life story, share his words of wisdom, encouragement, And I've been truly able to connect. I hope you're able to connect too. Thank y'all for listening. We'll see you next episode of The Manhood Experiment. We out. Hey, what's up? This is Big Dreams. Thank you for checking out today's episode of The Manhood Experiment. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and give us five stars. Not only does your feedback matter, but it helps us to connect with others just like you that find value in our weekly episodes. So subscribe, share, and speak with your friends and family about today's episode. And most importantly, take care of yourself, keep growing, and join us again on the next episode of The Manhood Experiment.